You're listening to the Rodolfo Rivas Project. My dad has had big conversations with other people around the world and here in Geneva. He loves it and he's all crazy about it. Remember to have fun listening to it, the Rodolfo Rivas Project. So this is the good point when you when you shoot a, a, um, a film with a real source, which happened in real life. but. For me, it's the same if I, if I shoot a, a, a story like this or a story which comes totally out of our mind, you know. It's always to find um, truth in it. So when I, when I have a, you know, a, a real story, a true story, then I always try to discover the myth underneath. It's not about retelling the story how it happened because, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a report. But I always try to find the... the, the the deep truth underneath. That was Kilian Rietho, award-winning filmmaker. I am Rodolfo Rivas, and this is my podcast. Welcome to it. Kilian is best known for films like Gladbeck, Last Year's You Will Not Have My Hate, and his latest, Estella Alive, which stars Berlinale Best Actress Award winner Paula Beer. He is a multi-talented director and writer who studied at the Hamburg Film School. He was at the Zurich Film Festival to present his latest film, and that is when I had the pleasure to sit down with him to discuss his career, his craft, his latest film, and also a bit about what he's working on next. As you know, I love films, and I enjoy talking about films, techniques, storytelling, and some of the challenges faced when making a film and working as a filmmaker. Killian is a master of his craft and a delightful individual. I highly recommend watching his film which has been a long gestating project that he finally got to make. It was a great conversation, and I can't wait for you to listen to it. Subscribe if you still haven't. Just after dawn, the morning's brighter. Start to walk, you'll find me on the road. Good uh, morning, afternoon. Uh, thank you for meeting with me. I'm really excited. Unfortunately, I haven't watched the movie, but I look forward to watching it later today. Uh, but I'm interested about uh, hearing about a bit about your life and how you became a filmmaker. So, did you always want to be a filmmaker? Good morning, first of all, uh, to you too. Uh, well, it started when I was um, um, about 12 years. Huh? So I started with uh, audio play. Um, and then I started to, to, to yeah, develop films uh, with 15, 18 years. So I just asked my schoolmates to particip participate and uh, they, yeah, they really loved it. So my first movie was about 78 minutes. I think it was a detective story of Agatha Christie. You know, we were all 15. It was much joy. We, we really loved it. And yeah, so uh, that's how it started. So I always, you know, was in movie making. I, I couldn't imagine another profession. It was really my my goal, and uh, I'm very happy that people nowadays give money to me. <laughs> and uh, when you were growing up, this seemed like a, a career path that you could take. That was something that your family supported you. Yeah, I was very happy about this. Uh, my mother always was a bit afraid, you know, because it's an, it's, you know, living as an artist can be uh, somehow insecure. But, um, 
you know, my father was very supportive and he always encouraged me and he told my mom, well, if he's decisive to do so, let him do because that's the best thing it can happen to a kid. And so I, I went along and um, I mean, it was not only a straight road, you know, after film school, I had to struggle a bit to get into the business three years. So that was really a hard time. But the good thing is, once you have overcome um, a phase like this, you really feel strong because then you know that nothing bad can happen to you, you know. I mean, it's always ups and downs, it's never a straight road, but all in all, I'm very happy <laughs> and uh, a lot of good things were happening in my career, so I'm, I'm really grateful. Um, and yeah, you mentioned about uh, film school, which you, you did in Hamburg, I, I read about it. Um, what were some of the things that you learned in film school that uh, prepared you for a career to actually do filmmaking? Because I guess it is a bit different, different from going to school to actually do it. Absolutely, but it was very helpful to visit the school. We had Russian teacher, a Russian teacher named uh, Alexander Mita. Uh, he was very, very famous in the 60s. And he was a teacher uh, to us and he you know, taught us all the Russian uh, drama history. So we, we learned you know, all from the basics. Um, how to develop a story in three acts, how to develop stories with objects. So it's really, that was really helpful because I think it's about storytelling. So it was really, we had great American teachers, so very international teachers. One of the goals of our school was to only to, um, yeah, to, to get in um, teacher who were in the craft, who worked in the craft and not, you know, not only teaching. So I think that was uh, very wise because you, you need people who practice the job so they can tell you a lot. Uh, from John Borstein, this is a uh, producer of um, All the President's Men, yeah. the Redford movie. Uh, he taught us how to work with outlining. So that was very helpful at that time for me because he just you know, um, switched around certain elements in the story and made it better. Uh, after 30 minutes. This was really a miracle to me because I learned that with craft you can uh, improve a film um, yeah, much. So that was, really, that was really enlightening for me. And I think, yes, of course, it's another thing to, to shoot a movie because shooting a movie you have a special context. You have, first of all, time pressure. So you, you always feel you could have more uh, time, but it's always restrained. So you have to, you know, from the first minute, especially when you work for TV, but for, to be honest, for feature film too, you have to work like hell <laughs> to, to, to get the stuff in, you know, on time. And, um, Somehow I like it, you know, it's, it's an economical art, so you have to respect the, uh, the frame of, of, the, of, your, of your working, of your, of, your, of, your, yeah, of your part being creative. So, uh, I mean, I really like it. It's a good mixture. I, I, I don't, I, I, I'm not the guy for, you know, for sculpturing or for, for painting pictures. I think I'm totally right in my business. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And it seems that you have been working for many years, um, doing a lot of very different projects, uh, according to what I saw. Can you see a thorough line that uh, you can see from one project to another? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, it, it's really hard to reflect on myself so much, but I think, um, yeah, there's a through line. I think uh, one, you know, 
one one guy which uh, who I know from a film who was our uh, running advisor in one film. He just told me after watching a movie, this is so radically emotional and I, I took it as a big compliment and I think that's what I'm always uh, aiming for, to be um, striking emotional. So it, it's really to, to involve the um, to involve the, the audience, so to give them a, a huge experience. And it doesn't matter if it's a comedy or it's a, it's a drama, it just attack from the first minute. So um, because this is what I like when I go to the movies. I want to be moved, you know, but in a physical way. I just like to be moved and to leave the cinema one meter, uh, you know, away from where I started. So it's really, for example, one of my big experiences as, a, as an audience, you know, was uh, the fest of um, the Danish film, the Dogma yes. film, yes. which I really like from Winterberg. Uh, it's, and it's amazing, it's shocking, so you really leave the, the cinema mm, changed in a way, you know, totally, you know, it's like a washing machine, so you really leave, leave it uh, uh, physically changed. And I liked it very much. Okay. So, um, and this is what I, what I aim for in my own movies, just to, to move people, to give them a strong experience, this is what movies are about in my eyes. So for you, it's uh, about cre creating a, a story and transmitting it, the experience to the audience. Exactly. It starts. Uh, it starts with developing the script together with my two co-writers. I have two co-writers with uh, with uh, whom I work constantly, uh, and and we try to um, develop an emotional structure which. Um, transports our emotion to the audience. This is a really hard work because you have to reshape uh, and revise your, your script always. And it's, it's hard because once you have written the first draft, many uh, writers put it away, put it aside and say to the director, well, do the best out of it, I'm, I'm done. But the work starts after the first draft. So you have to uh, come back to an outline, you have to reshape the structure. Structure is your friend. Once you have, um, once you have, you know, um, understand what structure means, it's not a constraint, it's, it's, it's more uh, a help because you, it, it helps you to develop um, an emotional, Mm, take an emotional structure for transporting your emotion to the audience. If you fail in structure, nobody can help you. Not the director, you know, no actor, because it's all in the script. If a script is developed well, on the other hand, then you really, uh, uh, you know, can just just go for it. And and uh, if you're a talented director, you will always uh, reach a good goal. You know, good. But a, a good end. But without a good script, you are really lost. So that's why I'm really focusing very much on developing a good script with my two colleagues. And I, I mean, I, I know that you're a writer, director, but you've also directed pro, uh, projects that you did not uh, write. What's the difference in approach to a, a project that you generated and a project that you took over? Obviously, that at a certain point, uh, I have to let my own script go because there's a certain point where I have to start to direct. This starts with concepts which I'm writing. I'm, I'm always writing long concepts, you know, uh, just to communicate my idea to the team. And when, whenever I start with it, uh, I'm a director only. And I really like to separate two, um, the two professions. Sometimes 
yeah, people expect you as a director to rewrite the script, but you know, a good script should be finished once the director starts uh, his work. So it's really then more about to give an interpretation to the written script. That's my job as a director, just to find an emotional way to the audience, so to transmit all the emotions of the story, of the script, to the audience, to make it physical. So I have to develop physical action. That's maybe my main part as a director. Physical actions for the for the for the actors because that's yeah the staging, the blocking. That's my main part, I think. How do they work with objects? So how can I tell a story uh, via um, physical actions? And uh, earlier you mentioned that you you had this influence from the dogma movement, Festen. Uh, watching one of your most successful films, uh, Home Video, mm -hmm. I got a, a sense that it was a bit, it reminded me a bit of the films by Michael Haneke. Uh, can you talk a bit about what are some of the directors that you like or influence you and, and how? I mean, there are many films I really like. My, my most favorite films are uh, Vertigo from Hitchcock and The Third Man, you know, the old black and white movie. I really love that. And sometimes I ask myself, why? Because it's, I think it's a use of, of you know, of close-ups and music. Um, so I'm, I really I love film music. So um, I'm, I come from a very, yeah, from a musician family. So music was always, a, played always a big role in my life. Uh, so I like w um, whenever uh, music plays a big part and uh, when emotion gets space in a movie and it's not too documentary. Given that, I think with Home With You it was a special take because we really wanted to, to follow this kid's um, dark journey after, after you know, losing his security, after losing this, this, this video which uh, gets you know, in public, an in intimate video. So uh, uh, in this film, it was about how a guy can lose his network, his so-called network, social network. But there is no network if you, you know, if something intimate gets into public, you are really, uh, you really fall back on yourself. So just to give a feeling of that, just to transmit it in a physical experience again for the audience. So we really try to, um, to just to follow this guy, not to do too much. You know, there are, I think. Mm, subjects where you can play out the visual style more and sometimes it's wrong just sometimes just to follow the actor just to follow the story um, which counted for for home video especially so it was really important to be as close as possible to this guy who is in such a hell of situation and I also noticed in your filmography that you like to tackle um, topics that are based in real life Uh, how does I guess that this start like a starting point, and then you use them to to tell the story that you want to tell. But what is the difference in approach to creating a, a story that comes out of your imagination to something that is based on something real? Yeah, that's a good question. I think um, I, I I don't know why it happens to me all the time that I that I I, I mean I, I'm I'm really interested in in, in history. I, I, I always have been since I was a, a child. Um, 
Then you have a special source. You can you can make your research. You know, I really love this to to uh, discover um, details in the history of this story, in the um, circumstances um, for for the characters. So you get deeper and deeper. It's like a little bit like a sandbox. You know, you just jump in and you discover all these uh, precious details. So, for example, uh, when we shot. Uh, um, 54 hours uh, Gladbeck uh, we knew that the gangsters were uh, you know uh, rubber hand gloves uh, just as you use it for cleaning you know cleaning a room this was really you know you, you get very specific then in details and that gives you a real realistic impression of what happened because details tell you so much about um, about a an, an, an actual situation. So this is the good point when you when you shoot a, a, a film with a real source, which happened in real life. But for me, it's the same if I if I shoot a, a, a story like this or a story which comes totally out of our mind. You know, it's always to find um, truth in it. So. When I when I have a you know a, a real story a true story then I always try to discover the myth underneath. It's not about retelling the story how it happened because you know I'm not a I'm not a report, mm -hmm. but I always try to find the the the, mm, the deep truth underneath. So the myth um, in Gladbeck it was about you know. Um, a state who is unable to react, who is powerless. And this feeling of being powerless, this was something we wanted to discover. So you meet an animal in, you know, in a pedestrian zone. That was for Germany when it happened in 1988. It was a real deep shock because you had gangsters in the middle of a pedestrian zone giving interviews to journalists, which is really totally crazy and, and horrible. Um, uh, I mean, just threatening the hostages with a gun, you know, with a revolver. This is horrifying. And to give a, yeah, just um, to transmit this feeling of encountering the, the evil and not being able to react. That's much of German history, I think, after 45. So that was interesting to discover, to, to not just to retell the story, but to discover the truth underneath. And I, I also saw that in your filmography, you are based a lot on stories that are, uh, is it accurate to say that they're very German, uh, that they're stories specific to Germany and your interest, but your last film, before the one that you're here to show, was set in France and in French. Mm -hmm. um, is this something that you want to explore further, uh, stories that are in, happen in other places? Yes, yes. Um, I mean, normally you search in, in, in fields where you, you know, where you are at home. So that's, it's normal that we take uh, German um, topics like, like, like Barschel or Gladbeck because um, this is part of my use, so I have a special focus on it. But it, you know, the most important thing is that I can um, attach myself, that I can, you know, deeply connect with the material. So 
in case of Wunurepama Anne, it was, uh, I have a daughter of nearly the same age as Milville, so I felt very connected when I read it the first time. I was really crying because it's, it's so close to my own life and so easy to, to imagine that it could happen to me. So it was um, crystal clear from the first second that I had to shoot this movie. And then we asked for the ride and I had to improve my French very much. So <laughs> I, I, I learned it more or less. Another, in another language. It's difficult, yeah. It's difficult because the culture is different from ours, you know, and um, much more than you imagine because it's, it's, you know, it's our neighbor country, but it's very different from the German culture. So you had to really to learn the language and the culture uh, and get to know to it. Um, but then, you know, the, um, the core subject, the core topic of this movie was very close to me. So I know how, to, how, how it is to be a father. And I could imagine even if I didn't want to, how it might be to lose uh, my wife. So it's a horrible thought, which I hope will never happen. But, but uh, it, yeah, maybe it was one of, it's one of my biggest fears that our family would be destroyed. And whenever I feel a fear, I can easy con easily connect, so I felt very close to this, even if it's not German. Um, well, now uh, let's talk a bit about uh, the film that you're here to promote, mm -hmm. Stella, Alive. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing it later, but uh, I read about it and I came across, uh, you think that you first came across with this story around 20 years ago? Mm -hmm. How? Has this idea been marinated inside your head for 20 years or what propelled you to do it now? I saw a picture in, in a German newspaper of a blonde, beautiful woman. Um, it, she was, you know, in the middle of Berlin uh, on Kurfürstendamm. Uh, and she, it was, an, it was an, a picture from, from another period. I, I, you could see it because it was black and white, but it felt very modern. So I read the article. It was headlined with, I think, the blonde ghost. So I read it and I read this story about a woman who uh, betrayed um, hundreds of fellows in, in order to survive. Uh, but I learned that she was not only a perpetrator, but also a a victim so it felt very ambivalent from the first second and that intrigued me very much I tried to to realize this project then uh, 20 years ago but it was really hard to find uh, a producer for it because people were a bit reluctant telling a Jewish story or let's say a story about a Jewish girl or Jewish woman um, as a German um, and I could totally understand that but I, I kept on thinking on this so The other thing was how to tell the story because it's really a morally ambivalent character. So uh, we really had to find a way and my, my co-writers were not convinced from the first second, you know. So it, I kept it in my mind and I think 12 years ago I returned to the story because I felt ready to tell it. And times change a bit in Germany because I think we... I think we, we felt a possibility to tell the story without, you know, Tell it in the telling it in the wrong way, so I think you have to be very aware how to tell the story. For us, it was always about how easy we can trap into yeah into making a wrong decision. I always ask myself, how would I myself, you know, uh, had react when when it happened? Would it happen to me? So um, yeah, that was something 
which seemed then inevitable for me. Um, I, I had to do this and uh, I found my producer Michael Lehmann from Studio Hamburg and Letterbox and yeah, he was uh, intrigued by the story, by the jazz elements, you know, because this girl wants to be um, a singer on Broadway first in 1940 and they just, she just, uh, does, didn't manage to, to escape uh, on time together with her parents, so she had to stay in Germany. And then she, um, yeah, was, you know, she had to go into underground with the parents. She was persecuted, um, arrested, tortured. So many bad things happened to her, but did that give her the right to betray people. So this is really not easy to decide and I think that's the exciting and um, really intriguing part of this movie. So was this, this uh, character and questioning the reasons why she did what she did was your way in? Uh, I guess what you said, I am also intrigued by stories where a lot of things happen and maybe you make the wrong decision and that leads to another which are happening all the time, but perhaps because of the situation of the war was exacerbated. Um, how how is, are you able to to hone in on this aspect so that to give uh, more meaning to the story? Uh, could you repeat that? Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, sorry. Not to get uh, you wrong. I, I was yeah. just mm -hmm. saying about... Uh, I'm also intrigued by characters who mm -hmm are trapped in a situation and they sometimes do the wrong decision. Yeah. This happens more in a war. Mm. And this seems to be a very modern story, even though it happened many years ago, yes. by the political situation that we're currently living. Yeah, yeah. Um, was that, is this what you were talking about, how the situation changed uh, that opened the door for you to make this project? I mean, yes, there's, in, in Germany, um, I feel we are a bit more open-minded now not to talk about the Third Reich only, I think it's very important to talk about it morally, but not only, but also to um, let it happen as an experience. So when I went to school, you know, I had, that was in the 80s, we had week by week, we had new reports about the, uh, the Third Reich, which were um, very morally, and that was okay because, you know, to, to those days it, there wasn't any report, so people really denied what happened, which was really bad. And um, I think it was important that it changed. But then there was a, another step of development just to um, let it happen. What, what, what happened, you know, in the Third Reich, just to have the experience and not only the judgment um, of history. In this story, we found many sources about, you know, people who were captured by Stella in the court files and it's really I mean it's really shocking how you can experience history pater uh, you know not in not from a historic point of view not with a certain distance but very close to you because you just imagine we the two of us were sitting here in a cafe and you know a woman enters the cafe and just uh, arrests you because you are Jewish. So it's really, it's really shocking because it's, it happened in, in, in everyday life, you know, and not in a history book. And I think the time was, uh, yeah, ready for this now, but 20 years ago it was different. Um, and I also saw that you have one of the uh, accomplished uh, actresses playing the role. 
Did you always visualize her in that role? Paula was really our first thought. Um, yeah, because she, first of all, she's an extraordinary actress. She has a great ability to defend her role, to, uh, you know, to. Um, she, she, she works very meticulously, she's preparing very meticulously for a role. She's really, you know, she works the role through with all her body, you know, she's really into the role totally. So she has a really huge talent and I think that's really rare at this, uh, you know, level in Germany. On the other hand, she has a special aura, and I was really um, sure about that we needed a, 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 an erratic actress for an erratic person, because she, she was erratic. She, my, many people were shaken between um, admiring her and <laughs> you know, uh, being horrified by her. So I think that's, um, yeah, that... Um, gives us the specialty of, of this character, you know, so it's really, um, this is really something very striking in her character. And also, you talked about how music was a big part of it. Uh, I see that the, the movie has a lot of musical numbers. Was this something that specifically attracted you also to tell this story and to tell them in such a vibrant way? Absolutely. I mean, it's very, the, the jazz music was very important because, you know, it's, um, It's about losing innocence, uh, and I think it's important to, to see her in the beginning as an innocent young person with uh, whom we can identify very easily because I think lots of people, lots of young people want to be a star, want to be a musician, uh, want to, you know, get resonance for, for artistic approaches, and she was not different from them. So I felt it's very modern, it's a very modern character, as I told you, because she, she's a bit self-centered as a person, or she was, I, but I think that happens all the time nowadays, you know, yeah. we are living in a very self-centered um, um, society and time, so uh, yeah, that felt very modern, and, and the music gave us um, a way to look into, your, into her heart, um, to identify with her, and not see, to see her as a guilty person from the beginning. I mean, she was 20, you know, she was very young and um, she took very decisive, I mean, she took, she took decisions, hard decisions with 20-something uh, within a few weeks, you know, she wasn't prepared. And this is maybe something we can, I mean, we can take out of this story. Be prepared because we are really living in times which, uh, um, yeah, where we're populists and um, um, authoritarian, authoritarian um, forces are really strong. We, we can look, you know, to, to Russia, we can look to many countries in Eastern Europe and especially in Germany where we have 20% and more now for fascist party. So we have really uh, be prepared um, because it can happen very easily that someone asks us uh, which way to go. And well, I'm really excited about the movie. I'll watch it later. But I know that you, you talked about your next project, which is uh, a techno club uh, during a a nuclear war or something like that? Do you want to, you wanted to move to something that was not a period, uh, that was in one single location? 
Exactly. Because it was like something different yeah. to your. I'll always, I always try to you do to contrast uh, my next project to the previous one. So there's a huge contrast. Only one location, not period, not a true story, just something out of my mind. So uh, something own out of my mind. So uh, and. I really like to, to tell a story with 100 minutes of loud techno music and just to rely on bodies and the body language. Um, yeah, and we will see. I mean, it's about young people uh, uh, dancing in a club at, in one night only. And uh, then there's a rumor that uh, there could be, you know, a nuclear war outside. And how to live with this fear, how to survive with a fear, uh, which is very present with the young generation, I think, uh, of catastrophe. Uh, although I, I see some links thematic about what you said about characters maybe doing right or wrong decisions based on situations that put them to the extreme. Absolutely. I mean, it's always uh, important to to tell stories which are ambivalent. This is something which really is, is close to me, you know, close to my heart, because um, if it's too easy to follow a character, it's boring. So I really like the, uh, the dilemma, the, the, the ambivalence of a story. Just, you know, because we can, yeah, it's, it's more intriguing, it's more emotional and, and it's really shaking you and this is what I expect from movies. Thank you, Kilian. It has been great uh, talking to you and I look forward to watching the film. Thank you, likewise. This was the Rodolfo Rivas Project. I hope you loved it. Can you dig it?